Weepa team is proud to bring you Weepa Waves, the sound waves of your career. And the F words, the taboo stops here. Let's tackle the tough issues together. Hi, my name is Lindsay Rainwater. I am the founder and CEO of the Women in Fitness Association. We believe that storytelling has a magical way of connecting us all. We give a voice to tough topics and break down any fear of being alone. Weefa Waves is the podcast devoted to the sound waves of your career, giving voice to our global community. Please also enjoy our newest addition to our podcast family, F-Words. We highlight the taboo topics and feature words like fertility, finance, facelift, and fillers. We're going to break down any tough issues that we might face together. Enjoy today's episode of Weefa Waves and F-Words. Today on the WIFA Waves podcast, I am incredibly excited to introduce today's guest to you. Ms. Elizabeth Kramer is an absolute delight, and she's going to tell you all about the fact that she's a small town gal turned serial entrepreneur. I want to tell you a little bit more about her. She's a talented corporate leader, a shrewd investor, an impassioned mentor and is a huge advocate for work-life balance. Um, Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you. Honored to be here. Yes. And one of the reasons that I asked Elizabeth to come on the show is that we were chatting about starting your own business, being a woman, an entrepreneur, a mother. And she was unpacking this topic for me of investing in businesses, buying businesses, just the concept of how you go about it. Do you start your own or do you buy someone else's? That sort of thing. So we'll unpack that message a little bit later. Let's talk about your big picture purpose and how that informs your day-to-day action. So for our listeners, can you unpack for them? What do you feel is your purpose and how does that inform your daily actions? So my purpose professionally has always been to empower and inspire women to achieve their greatest potential. And I was in the corporate world for many, many years, and now I own an all-women's gym. I also um, have my passion project of Empowered by E, which is really there to mentor and coach um, women in their career path. So I think that that's really driven me in my career, certainly, and and then also to have work-life balance, to be a mother and a wife, uh, and really have a life outside of my profession as well. Um, so when you boil it down to your day-to-day, do you have a few examples of how that shows up in the daily for you? Like, what's an action that would represent work-life balance for you? So I think for me, and, and being a business owner now, this is probably the thing I value the most, and that's flexibility to be able to prioritize my family uh, and still have a career. I can, you know, I get up, I get up at four in the morning, I can work from four to six, and then I can be available for my family until my, you know, kids were off to school and, you know, everything around the house was taken care of. And then I could go back and start working. So I, I think the, the flexibility element of being a business owner um, has really helped me to find a work-life balance. I think it was, harder as a corporate executive 
and something I had to constantly be reminding myself that it was okay to prioritize my family. Um, and not just my family, but even just my own self-care and my own interests outside of work. I really appreciate what you said about what time that you, your relationship to the clock is what I like to call that. And the, I've come to believe it as the letting go of the myth of nine to five and that just being a, for me, it's a total patriarchal construct that doesn't work for me as a woman or me as a mom or me as a business owner. And it's more about if I do want to honor the relationship to time, it's about a 24 hour clock, my family's needs, the needs that come with either my business or employer, and then the needs that kind of everything that falls underneath that, my primary relationships, my home, running my household. Because if I try to lock everything into an eight hour grid every day and it's perfectly aligned with the right hours of childcare, I'll go crazy. I've demonstrated, I've, I've proven myself multiple times, whether it was going to an office to work, working from home, like I've tried on so many different versions of that. And I've come to believe that you just have to let go of this idea around it looking a certain way to get it done. Yeah. And I think sometimes there's a misconception, you know, I know for some of my employees that, you know, I'd send emails at three, four or five in the morning and maybe some at 10 at night. And in their mind that that meant, oh my gosh, you are working, you know, from three in the morning until 10 at night. And, and, and so I had to make the commitment to sharing with my staff, like, first of all, I don't expect you to work those hours. Those are the hours that, that work for me, but I don't work, you know, 20 hours a day. I work when it works for me and for my life. So if it's good for me from three to six in the morning, because I'm awake, because I'm an early morning person, that's a great time for me. I'm very functional. I can be super efficient. And then I can take care of my other you know, doctor's appointments, kids, running kids around, you know, all of that. Yes. And, um, and, you know, I can work my eight to 10 or however many hours I need to work. Um, but I do it on my own, on my own schedule. And I think as a business owner, it's one of the greatest blessings, but it also, it's possible in the corporate world in particular right now, where everyone is kind of reinventing what the workday looks like. Now, yeah. I mean, most companies, I'm not, I don't know if most, but a lot of companies, right, have gone virtual during this time. And suddenly the time clock just doesn't matter. You know, yeah. you, you get down to, you don't have to commute, you know, you don't have to pack a lunch, you don't have, you know, all those things that, you know, took a lot of time and preparation. Now you just sit down at your computer. And if that's at six in the morning or 10 in the morning or, you know, seven at night or 10 at night, just as long as the work's getting done, I think that, that we as employers, and supervisors also have to be willing to adjust to that too and accept that that yeah, that we can trust our employees to work and get the work done. Absolutely. And I, I completely agree with that. And it's the way that we've done it at WIFA is we create a certain percentage of time that's overlapped for shared projects and then everything else is on your own time. Because I'm like you, I'm like, don't think that because I'm sending this email to you at 11 p.m. means I expect you to send me back an email at 11 p.m. It'll be waiting for you in the morning when you start your day or whatever it looks right. like. But it also liberates your ability to work with people internationally, which broadens the talent pool. There's just a lot of really cool alternatives that we have because of it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So this segues nicely into the concept of social norms. And I think there's a, a long story historically about women maybe competing instead of collaborating. And at WIFA, 
the entire mission is focused on championing women to succeed and collaboration being the vehicle to accomplish more together. And that's, you know, as a global nonprofit, every day is like, okay, how can we get more women helping member women? Is there, um, how do you believe that women can champion one another to succeed together? Well, I think for me in my career, I, I had, you know, a handful of women who inspired me and I have certainly tried to do that throughout my career. And I think the most important thing is to stand up for each other. You know, when you see something happening in a work environment that is just not okay, uh, to stand up and, and be there. And I think it's something that's hard for a lot of women that just socially we're, we're not always trained to kind of be the fighter and, Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's an absolute necessity. I think we, we have to stop it. And the only way to do that is to be there for each other. And so I think taking a stand is a big part, you know, inspiring people, of course, by setting a good example, um, kind of trying to open the doors for people. You know, I, I think it's not, um, it, it's a, it's apparent when there's a woman who's the leader in a company or in an organization or in a department, you often see a much higher percentage of women that work for them because those women see a path. And so I think for us as women, it's really important mm-hmm. that we create that opening, not just by getting there ourselves, but by getting there in a way that, that people want to get there and want to see sort of say, Oh, I can see myself there, right. I can see myself there as a mom, as a wife, you know, as a balanced human being, right. And, mm. and yet also as a very successful career person. Mm, magical. Like the, <laughs> the analogy that comes to mind is like, open the door and then hold it open. Let as many yeah. women come through as possibly can in those leadership roles. Cause once yeah. we see something, you know, it's one of the reasons right now where if, you know, I, I do my best to let people know that like, yes, I'm breastfeeding my child during this call. Cause once you see it's possible, Oh, she did it. I'm going to try it. It's like seeing something creates the context and the roadmap so you can go back and do it, which is, I want to segue to what I, so when we chatted the other day, we talked about uh, starting a business and we talked about the dynamic of, you know, you can start your own business or you could buy an organization and either have a turnaround project or something to that degree. And the topic for this month at WIFA is all about kind of the the back to the future performance review. Like if you think about with the end in mind with your goals and what you're really trying to achieve, how does that inform your decisions? So will you unpack a little for us your career path over the last however many years and then how that's informed what you ultimately really want? Yeah, so um, I think what I thought I ultimately really wanted, I got and realized it wasn't what I ultimately really wanted. Um, you know, I mean, I, I sort of grew up in the corporate world at a time when it was hard for women. And I, in particular was, I mean, I was in the auto industry, which is, you know, 99% male and, you know, the way that you serve, you survive it, basically, you have to be tougher, stronger, um, take your blows, be ready to, you know, kind of suck it up. And, um, you know, and I appreciate all of those experiences because they made me a better human being. They made me stronger. They made me, you know, more capable of um, handling things and handling situations and also increased my commitment to helping the generations that follow to not have to go through those 
um, go over those hurdles like I had to. Um, and so, you know, I always dreamed of being a corporate high level corporate executive. Um, the bigger the package, the bigger the title, the more perks, all of that was kind of what drove me. And, um, and I think it was, it was a lot of, you know, validation, right. That I could do it. And, you know, I was raised in, I was a small town girl. We were low income, but my dad believed, you know, he used to always tell me I was going to be the first female president of the United States. <laughs> I think that that's the only time I've disappointed him is that I did not get there, but, um, but, you know, I grew up with that level of like belief and confidence, right. Coming from, you know, a pretty traditional family, right. Mom stayed home, dad worked. Um, and, you know, and so I never really felt like there should be an obstacle. And when there was an obstacle, I, my dad's voice would always be in my head of just, well, then figure it out, right. You're smart. You can do this. And so that was kind of what drove me. And when I got there, you know, I had, a, I was a chief operating officer. I ran a hundred million dollar company. I had 2,500 employees, um, you know, was kind of the dream, right? Sold a couple of companies, um, started a couple of companies with partners, you know, from startup and, and really kind of had all that I thought I ever wanted professionally. But in that I paid a price personally, I was married and divorced twice, um, and my second husband was a stay-at-home dad. My daughter was basically raised without much input from me her first few years. When her dad and I divorced, suddenly my life and priorities changed. Suddenly I was a full-time executive and mom and, you know, really had to prioritize things differently from that point forward. And it was a big kind of personal shakeup, like an identity shakeup, like, okay, maybe this isn't what I want. Yeah. I could hire a nanny. Yeah. I could, you know, let a nanny raise my daughter, but it was, wasn't, didn't feel, didn't sit with me. Right. Just wasn't right for me. And so that really started the change of what my long-term future was. And I had to kind of reset. What is it? What does my new success look like? And um, at that time, my daughter was four and I was traveling a lot um, and, you know, and when I wasn't traveling, I was the mom dropping off at daycare at the minute they opened and coming in at the, you know, it was the last mom to pick up and Olivia's sweeping the floor. And, you know, and I was sort of like, this is not, you know, this is not the life that I want for her and I. And so, um, and so I started to think about what was next. And I knew one of my uh, best skill sets was kind of turning around operations that were struggling. I'd done that for many different companies, made people a lot of money. Uh, I had been part of a few startups. So I had from a corporate perspective, I mean, they were started with investment money and, you know, that kind of thing. And so I kind of plotted this plan of just, Hey, I think I want to start buying businesses and I can use my skills of turning them around to improve them and build my own portfolio and do it in a way that I can prioritize my family. And at that point I was seeing my, my, I hate to call him my third husband. I'm going to call him my last husband um, and who was also a corporate executive. Um, he had two boys and, you know, we became a blended family and we had to make some choices about, what does life look like with two type A personalities, two senior level executives and three kiddos in the middle of it? 
And I just, I kind of rolled out my plan. I said, look, I've always wanted to just do it myself, you know, have my own business. And so, you know, my husband's an entrepreneur and an executive and he and I kind of sat down and created this business plan. I remember sitting on the balcony, you know, he's having a cigar and I'm writing it all out. And we kind of created what was, became my company and uh, we call it a very private, private equity, because it's basically just our money and what we could pull together and started buying small businesses. And, you know, again, it was very different than when you do a startup, you're either funding it fully on your own and you're having, you know, no income and, you know, all of that. And it was really important to me that I had always supported myself, supported my family and so it was really important to me that I was able to contribute and support at least Olivia and I share in this new family. And so in order to do that, I decided I was going to buy businesses instead of start a new business. And for me, it was kind of a no brainer when I started looking at it because the financials, you know, if you go out and look, you, you buy a business that's already making money. So you can borrow enough to buy it the business more than supports your debt. And I took a paycheck from day one. So I was able to replace my corporate salary with a company that, you know, I ran a hundred million dollar organization, right. That meant I worked 24 hours a day and, you know, really kind of consumed me. Um, and then I bought my first business was, a, you know, a million dollar company and I could replace my salary. And it was shocking. I mean, I actually took the financials to my accountant and said, please tell me this is wrong because I think I might like, you know, choke here if I realize that all the work I put in and made the same amount of money. right? Yeah. And, you know, running this huge organization and all that went with that. And I can run this company with 10 or 15 hours a week and replace my salary. I mean, it didn't replace all the perks and the, you know, the bonuses and that kind of stuff, but it was, it was enough to get started. And it was my first step forward. And that was my all, the all women's gym that I bought, which was um, an incredible opportunity. It was a business had been around for a long time. I feel bad for the person I bought it from because I spent months doing due diligence, many more than I needed to, but it was my first time and I wanted to be sure. And, and it really was a great a great step. And then after that, I bought, I at one point had seven businesses and with it, you know, and when I set out to do it, I set parameters for myself, you know, which were, you know, the business had to be profitable. I had to be able to pay myself for my work. It had to be within an hour of my home. It had to have enough income to, to have its own manager so that I was the owner, not the day-to-day operator, which allowed me to use my business acumen um, and experience to improve the business, but not be in the day-to-day of it. And, yeah. and it was great and also gave me the flexibility to be able to prioritize my family over everything else. And, and on top of that, it was a, you know a gym, so nothing like great personal care, right? I could work out. I had a trainer. We have a massage therapist and esthetician on staff. I mean, it's it's kind of a dream in that way. Um, and so suddenly, my life of just sort of craziness from just never having enough hours and sort of and feeling, I think, especially after I went through my divorce, and just feeling like I wasn't doing any of it at the at the expectation level I had put up on myself, and to then take this step into owning my own business and be able to be, you know, phenomenally successful at all of the, all these pieces. And just kind of, for me, it was like soul feeding to be able to 
to say, hey, I can have a career, I can have a family, you know, I can have, you know, a personal, I can connect with my friends, I can, you know, all those things that I just had spent really committed to my career and whoever I was working for at that time. So I guess that's a long answer to your question. (laughs) Oh, but it was so, I feel so inspired right now. And I have a few follow-on questions, if that's okay. Yeah, please. Um, I think for the listeners in particular, and this this is both my perspective and I've spoken with other women that have this perspective too, around um, having to have certain things in order to be able to take a step, especially when it comes to taking out a loan to buy a business or taking out a loan to buy a franchise or I think some folks might have it like, well, I'm going to start a business and not pull an income from it because that's easier and more cost effective bootstrapping it. And that part I don't necessarily identify with, but would you be willing to share any specifics about, you know, what it was like for you to get maybe a bank loan to buy, to borrow, to buy? Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of, do you have to wait until you're in your, you know, I'm not sure how old you were, but do you have to wait until you have a certain portfolio to be able to do something like that? Like how attainable is it for someone to be able to take a step like that? Well, I would say that it's easier than I expected it to be. Um, you know, getting an SBA loan, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of paperwork and it, the, the time to just, you know, get it done is, it can be kind of overwhelming, but ultimately it's worth it, right? So it's low cost yep. financing, um, and 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 the process is actually there to help you to make sure that the business you're buying will actually be able to pay the loan back, right? So it's it, it taught me a lot about due diligence mm-hmm. um, for myself, having to go through it. I mean, there was some of it I was like, look, I've been an executive for a million years, I know how to do this, but and so it felt tedious, but but at the end of the day, I actually think it was really helpful. So yeah. you know. I think, um, so for me setting my goals, you know, I'd said that, you know, it had to be profitable. It had to be within an hour. I mean, one of the things for me is I also had to know how much money I needed to personally be able to take out of the business. And as a business owner, it's not necessarily called salary. And I always refer to it as owner benefit. So owner benefit includes the cash you can take out, includes the car expenses you can write off. It includes, um, you know, for me at the gym, my personal training, you know, certain, so what is it that I'm getting out of this business? What's my owner benefit? And for me, it had to be above a certain amount for it to be of interest, right? I didn't want to take on a business that was losing money, even one that was breaking even, or even one that was making, you know, 40, 50 grand, because I knew I wanted to reinvest in the business as well as be able to take, you know, an income for myself, So I think those kinds of things are really important. So when you go and look for a business, it's very easy to kind of filter through stuff, right? Nope, that one's not enough for me to even look at it. And so so I started with that kind of bottom line number and then kind of worked up and you go, okay, so if let's just say I buy a million dollar business, million dollar business does 250,000 in owner benefit, right? So I need, and I, the business, I want to buy it. They're asking you know, um, they're asking a million dollars for it. Let's just say that's probably about right. Three to four times uh, profit ish net income is usually kind of what you look for in, unless it's a very aggressively growing business. Right. But if it's kind of a stable, been around a long time doing all that, it's kind of steady growth. That's about what you end up paying for it. And so by a million dollar business, SBA requires you to put down 15% 
So $150,000, but you can have seller financing for 5% of that. And these rules change. They kind of go up a percentage or two every once in a while. So, but, so that means out of pocket for me to buy a million dollar business, I needed a hundred thousand dollars of my own cash. And then this, I did seller financing, say for 50,000. And then the rest would be a bank loan through the SBA. Got it. And, um, and that SBA loans over 10 years, most of the time, unless you're buying property, then it can be over a longer period of time. So it's very manageable. And if the business had enough profit, then there's, it does, you don't even feel that, right? You just, you just move along. It's part of your business expenses, like payroll. Right. Um, and so, and so that's kind of how I looked at it, right? I'd look at a business and say, okay, what do I need to, what do I need to come up with to put down on it? And so a lot of people can come up, you know, you, I mean, if you don't have that in your bank account, you probably, well, you definitely need your down payment, whether you borrow it from friends and family or you personally have it. And then you need some slush. You need, you know, you probably need another at least 30% of that. So maybe 130,000, I would say. It's not, you don't have to have it. I, I did buy some where I, I, I put everything I had to get into it and, you know, hoped that it would produce. And, you know, they came out fine. Um, there were months where I, you know, paid for things on credit cards and, you know, all that, because there's always the fluctuation in any business. But, but as long as you've done your due diligence and the business is truly solid and it, it has a history of that, those numbers, it'll, it'll all kind of even out. Um, but again, if you think about, well, for a hundred thousand down, I now have owner benefit income of 250,000. And that's, that's after all the bills are paid. Then, you know, it's pretty easy to justify that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then, you know, I may say, Hey, I'm going to actually take out of this business, 150 for myself and the other hundred I'm going to put away and, you know, first make sure this business has everything it needs to operate well, right. Does it need new equipment? Does it need whatever, but then the rest I can go, okay, now after one year, I've got enough to buy another one. Right. And so that's just kind of how I did it. I just kind of kept building and, and I did, I had at the point that I had, um, I had four trampoline parks, I had a doggy daycare, I had the gym, and then I had my corporation. Um, you know, I started all of that with an initial, I think my initial business, I put 150,000 into it. And then the rest just kind of kept coming from those businesses. And so, you know, before the pandemic, you know, I had a $14 million company, I was doing 14 million in revenue. And that was built out of my initial investment of, you know, whatever, I can't, let's say 200,000 in total. Um, And there were times when I had to put some money in to cover a payroll or whatever, but over time I was able to pay myself back. My paying myself back was a priority. Um, So it's, it's definitely, I believe it's more doable than I would have thought um, going into it. Yeah. That's so congratulations. It's just, it's really, I appreciate you being willing to go into that detail. Cause I think oftentimes, especially in forums like this, it's easy to go, Oh, wow. And really iconicize the process instead of distill it down to action steps that m- one might actually be able to take on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for being willing to go detail oriented. Cause I think for a lot of the listeners, you'll, you provide hope of like, Oh, okay, well that would be a milestone. That yeah. if I have, you know, a certain, if I've, uh, you know, a hundred thousand in the bank, the options that become available to me, um, yeah. Yeah. within your, 
the last however many years of your career, do you have a couple of highlights that stick out to you that you're just really proud of? Well, I mean, I would still kind of go backwards. I would definitely say starting my own business and making it successful is by far, you know, my greatest highlight. And I think in particular, because I was able, I've been able to, for the first time, have a really successful marriage and a great family and um, do all the things mm-hmm. that I, I personally love to do, travel, cook, you know, spend time with my family, all of that. So I think that's probably my number one for sure. Um, beyond that, I would say I, I would choose two others. One is early in my career when I, I worked in the auto industry, I was given an opportunity very early. I was two years in and the company I was with was expanding into Europe. And I was chosen out of tens of thousands of employees, one of four people to go and open up the international division of the company, move to London, you know, literally started a company from scratch with some, with of course, a corporate money behind us, but, you know, right. had to, you know, find an office, buy vehicles, you know, buy computers, set everything, you know, all that stuff. Right. And, and I would think I was 27. So wow. it was just this incredible experience and also get to live abroad and travel abroad and, and do all of that. So that was definitely a highlight and an opportunity so young. Um, and I definitely believe that it, catapulted my career and my, my, just my own personal self-confidence and what I was capable of. Yeah. Um, again, reminding you that I came from a town of a thousand people. <laughs> That's what I grew up in. And then I was living in London, right. Driving on the other side of the road. I was by myself. Like it was kind of, a, it was definitely an adventure. Wow. Um, and then I would say that the, the, my husband, my, my last and my current and last husband, um, I actually started working for him. He had started his own company in online education and hired me in as his COO. And we built that company from, I think he was at 7 million when I started and we built it to 50 million and sold it. Um, and, and then the company that bought us kept us on and we built it up and, and sold it again before we decided to leave and go. And that's when I had left and started my own um, company. But that experience uh, was incredible to um, to be part of, to really grow and develop. And again, it was, um, it was, I had been in the auto industry, which was a great business and I learned a lot, but it, it didn't feed my soul. Yeah. And I then moved into education. I worked for kinder care for years as an executive. I then did online education um, with my husband and we had a couple of different companies, but that is where I found that I could be a businesswoman and really believe and be passionate about what it was I was doing and the work that we were doing. And that was a turning point, I think, for me. And that's when I really started to believe that I could do something on my own because I just kind of felt like I'm not really like a widget gal, right? I don't really want to build widgets or, you know, come up with some inventions, just not who I am. Some people it's great, but I really needed to find something that I was, that meant something to me. And really I had an opportunity to, um, to, to fulfill my own passions. Congratulations. And it's, (laughs) I, it's, I, I feel so inspired listening to you talk. And I also want to give you a specific appreciation about the way you talk about money. I think it's important when we share our stories to just name, it was 50 million, it was 7 million, like whatever the number is to not be afraid to name it. It's in some of the work that I've done around that coming from a childhood, speaking for myself, with some financial trauma, the process of working through that, a lot of it for me has been take the power away from the money, like let it be the vehicle, but don't 
don't come at it from this place of fear or scarcity. And I, I've gotten the chance to speak with quite a few women about whether it's a salary negotiation, asking for a raise, asking for what you want, asking for what you know you're worth, buying a business, like all of these number talks, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's still, I don't know if you experience this, but it's like, don't say the salary. Like you just, you know, and it's like, no, please just talk through the real yeah. numbers because it takes a lot of that power out of it and lets it be the energetic exchange of um, getting things done that it really has the ability to be instead of this icky, scary thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you think back to whether it was the 27 year old you in London or even before that would be, would there be any advice that you would give that young woman and the beginning of her career? I would say to just tell myself that you will survive no matter how tough it gets, you will survive. And ultimately you'll thrive because I think there were, there were a number of times, I think probably early in my career um, more so because the challenges were, I just hadn't experienced them before. And I think, you know, going, dealing with, you know, sexual harassment, dealing with, you know, sexism in the workplace, you know, all those things. And you just think, I have, is this worth it? Right. Am I, you know, what am I giving up of myself? Like, how, you know, I'm fighting and fighting and I feel like I'm not moving, you know, and the reality is it matters. It matters and keep driving and you will survive it and you'll learn from it and it ultimately will thrive, will thrive. And, you know, going through the last couple of years with the pandemic has just been, you know, really devastating for me and my businesses, but but a lot of that that I learned has also been kind of right there in the back of my mind saying like, you're going to get through this, you're going to get through it and you're going to come out the other side and you'll find a new path. Right. And, um, and I think that, that kind of has that. So when I, when I thought about this, you know, question, that's really kind of what came to me is like, yes, I will, you know, I'll survive it. <laughs> and yeah, ultimately, absolutely. So that's amazing. Yeah. It's uh especially the first time you do anything, right? It's the, am I going to survive through this? And then you build that muscle and you can look back and go, look, you did it over here. It's okay. Yeah. And, but until you've walked through it once, it can be terrifying, right? So to the women out there, if you're walking through something for the first time, you're going to thrive. It will be okay. It totally will be. So I know you're, you're focused on a couple of new things. And I'm curious if you'd be willing to share with the audience anything that is a special message that you're up to, anything that's coming up that's launched or being launched that you would like to us to help get the word out for. Yeah. So when the pandemic hit and a lot of my businesses were severely impacted, you know, I had to do a kind of stop and reflect kind of phase again in my career and, you know, really kind of continue to bring up to myself, okay, what is it I really want to do? What is this about? Where am I trying to get to? You know, I've been very fortunate that, you know, I've done well financially, that I've, I have the support of, you know, in my incredible family and all of that. And so it was like, okay, this is the time to go, what's the reset, right? And yeah. so one of the things I did, it's been over a year ago now, is I started um, what I call my passion project, which is empowered by E. And it started with um, social media. I have an Instagram and Facebook page, and I did a post a day. It was all about empowering women. And, you know, I had, and in the beginning, I was sort of like, I'm just going to kind of throw it out there and like put myself out there. I have 
you know, probably the majority are business posts, but I had fashion and I had family and I told a lot about my personal story and some of the things that I've endured in my own life. Um, and, and it was so healing just for me. It was just such a good, positive thing to focus on during a pretty challenging time. And then it came toward the end of the year and I was, I didn't never miss a post, right? 365 days. There was a post every day. And, um, and it came to the end of the year and I had to really sort of go, okay, so now what, right? What what am I, what am I doing with this? So I really decided to narrow it down. Um, And so I've stopped doing the fashion and the family and all of that. Occasionally I'll probably do something, but I've really focused on four posts a week and they are all about business and women in business And I've also now started taking on um, executive coaching clients and doing some business consulting. The majority of those have been women, women women-owned businesses and women executives who are trying to get to the next place in their career and feel, you know, stuck or feel like they, you know, they aren't, they aren't asking the right questions. They aren't putting themselves out there. They aren't driving for their own uh, success, right? They're not um, advocating for themselves. So helping them to do that. And it is, it's been incredible. Um, and so I've loved that. And then I've also taken on a few different consulting opportunities. And so I think that's kind of where I want to go. I mean, I'm, I'm in my mid fifties, I've had this phenomenal career and I've, you know, run big corporations. I've owned my own businesses and I still, of course, own my all women's gym. And I've also gotten involved in more associations. I mean, WIFA is one of those that I'm really interested in learning more about. I, um, I'm the president of the board of the Fit Life Association, which is a locally owned business, um, locally owned gyms in the Pacific Northwest. So really trying to kind of dive into that and get, do some give back um, of my own experience. And, uh, and then from that, also using some of those platforms to try to help build the, the coaching and uh, consulting work. So if you have a need, or if you feel like you're in the, one of those positions or you're stuck there, like I would love an opportunity to chat with you and see if it might be a, a good fit. It's, it's been really, um, it's been inspirational to talk to these incredibly talented women and, uh, and also really um, rewarding for me to see when I can help them. So. Yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. Well, we'll make sure to link that up so that if you want to work with Elizabeth and get some executive level coaching or do some soul searching on your career development. It sounds like a really great avenue. So we'll be sure to link that up for uh, the listeners today. Great. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of my favorite things to do before we sign off is to do a couple of fun rapid fire questions, which really just has to do with getting to know you a little bit more and having some fun. So you up for it? Sure. Okay. So the first rapid fire question, books or TV? Books. Books. What are you reading right now? I am a mystery, murder mystery fanatic. So I've, I I read a lot of Michael Connelly and I'm in a Michael Connelly book right now. And I couldn't even tell you the title because I just burned through them. (laughs) Nice. I also love love Patricia Cornwell. I just finished another Patricia Cornwell. Her books are old, but I've read them multiple times. So the body farm is the last one I just finished. Okay. I love it. Do you, do you watch TV at all or just all books in the evenings? Yep. Yeah. I used to not watch TV at all, which is funny. Like I didn't even own a TV for many years when I was in London. Um, My husband's a big TV watcher. I think the pandemic, a combination of not having to watch ads, right. Being able to watch TV without ads and, and my husband being a big TV 
person we yeah. definitely have watched and the pandemic has, you know, we've just burned through a lot of Netflix. So Succession, totally. I love. Um, we've watched all the Yellowstone, um, uh, Criminal Minds. That's my whole murder mystery thing. I love that show. And I watched Grey's Anatomy with my daughter. So yeah, I kind of oh, have a yes. That's amazing. I, it's time for me to go back to Grey's because there's a whole bunch of it I skipped over. Um, okay, next topic. So, and we'll do a couple more. What is your favorite um, beauty regimen? Whether it's like, I'll give you an example. For me, you know, being on Zoom, it's like, as long as I have mascara and, you know, a tinted lip gloss, I'm good to go. What's like your favorite staple right now that has you feeling good on the daily? Oh goodness. Um, definitely lipstick. I was raised, my mother would never go out of the house without lipstick. So I've always got to have on lipstick and I love lip sense. It's like a permanent stain with a gloss. It's Ooh, oh. the dream for masks. So you can put on a mask, doesn't move. Like you can literally do this all day long and it never comes off. It's so great. What's the name of it? It's lip sense. S E N S E. Yeah. Lip sense. Made, the, what brand is it? I think that's the brand. I mean, it's kind of one of those, like, I think it's like a Tupperware thing where you got to buy them through somebody who has it, but you can go online and find it. It's, it's amazing. So I got to always have that. And I have to have my eyebrows because my eyebrows are white basically. So, yep. I feel you there too. Well, mine aren't white, but I feel you on the eyebrows. Yes. I love it. Okay. Well, one last thing. What is your favorite song that can pull you from gloomy to glorious in a moment? Oh gosh. Um, oh gosh, I love, I, I don't know that I have a favorite. Oh, maybe. So I mean, I love country music. I grew up in the country. So I listen to all kinds of country music. I like the old stuff, the old twangy stuff. Um, but I also love, um, platoon, platoon, uh, no pontoon pontoon. I would say is the one song that when I turn it on, I turn it on really loud and sing it, Aww. make my daughter, you know, embarrassed. <laughs> so yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the WeFo Waves podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I, I hope everyone else out there does. Where can folks find you? Can you tell us where they can find you online? Yeah, so you can find me. I have a website, empoweredbye.com. I also on Instagram, it's at empowered.by.e, Instagram and Facebook, you can find me. And, um, and if you want to check out my gym, it's northwestwomensfitness.com nwwomensfitness.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and we'll see you out there in WeFa Waves. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. Be well. Great. Thank you. Start at the beginning. Start with you. WeFa lead. Leadership through elevation, awareness, and discovery. In a nutshell, it's 13 weeks plus you, a partner, and a community going on an intensely supported personal deep dive into who we are, why we're here, and how we are going to make the biggest impact possible. Sound big? It's a completely transformational program that we recommend for everyone, no matter the age, experience, or background. Join us for the next edition of the We Believe program.